My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of All American Wing Shooting. We have Andrew Marshall Wyman on today. He is an Upland enthusiast from Idaho, attorney by trade, but an Upland author that steals the heart of every wing shooter on the planet. I've been able to read <laughs> this book, and I cannot wait to read some of it to you guys. Well, thank you. That's that's very uh, that, that made my day. So I appreciate that. That's a good introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you. So we were actually connected through um, Richard Kennedy, who is yes. an FBI friend of mine. He's down in Louisiana. But like you said, you guys are in this in the same field. Yeah, and, he's an attorney. Yeah, and he comes up to Fly and B annually. I know they have an annual family family trip up to Idaho every year. So. Yep. So, and I've seen his pictures and we've just interacted or, you know, over the years on, uh, on, I think Facebook and on, uh, Instagram. So no, I, I don't know him real well, but, uh, you know, he has read my book. He's, he's reviewed my book. So I, I always appreciated that. Well, I'm so glad that he introduced us because I have thoroughly enjoyed the reading your book too. I haven't completely finished all of it, but it's made me uh, miss upland hunting a little bit more. Like I, I did that strictly for a few years and then I also started waterfowl. And so it's a different game with the dog, you know? And sure. so I do have short hairs and they didn't get as much action last year as they had in the past. And and you don't think about it when you're in the moment because you're just living it up, you know, and new experiences sure. and all those kind of things. But then I was sat down and read this book and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get those short hairs out this year. And so I, I'm super excited to hear how you put all of your experiences into a book. Like what inspired you to write? Well, I, you know, I, I, that's a good question. I've, I've been writing for quite some time. Uh, my, my brother and I, Actually, I, I wrote a fly fishing book back in I think 2007, so that's kind of when I started to 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 write a little bit. And then uh, my brother Sean is—I don't know if you've heard of him, but Sean Wayman—he's pretty um, well known in the upland world. He's a vet by trade and he goes by the name of Bird Dog Doc. Yes, and, uh, I've yeah. met him. Yeah, that's my brother. I see, I see the similarities now that you say yep. that. Yeah. So, so he's my older brother and, and he, he invited me to be on a blog way back when I want to say 2009 or thereabouts, um, the Upland Equations blog, which, which we both wrote for, for quite some time. Um, now we write for the Upland Ways blog and, uh, that's kind of our ongoing project, if you will. But I've written a lot of articles over the years for different magazines so it's just been kind of a hobby of mine, you know, like I'm an, a, like you said, I'm an attorney by profession, but writing is something that I kind of do for fun. And, you know, since we, in the uh, legal field, I write about things that I don't necessarily want to write about. And uh, with, uh, I'm a big time bird hunter and, and fisherman. So those are things that I really enjoy writing about. So, and I've done that over the years and put together a couple of books. Uh, this, that's actually my second book that you, you showed earlier. That's, uh, um, Idaho Upland days. Um, and that's, uh, and then my first, uh, published book on upland hunting was Idaho rough grouse hunting. So that was published back in 2018, I think. So, and the, the, the one that you're holding was published last year, 2022. So it's, so. So it's brand new. Now, have you been to your event? I saw that was posted in California. To to which event is that? I'm sorry. Were you weren't you going to an event in California about your book? Was there an event have, that was posted? No. I, for some reason, I was thinking that there was a an event that you posted where you were going to do like a a reading or something. No, I don't. That might have been somebody else. That wasn't me. Yeah, I was going to say, I try not, I haven't been to California too much. And just jokingly, I say, I try not to visit uh, communist countries. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Well, Sorry, I was just saying until <laughs> last year, I discovered waterfowl hunting in California and it is incredible. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of good hunting over there. Mm -hmm. I was there for yeah. opening waterfowl and then um, we pheasant hunted on opening day too. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, when you get out of the city, you forget you're in California. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. It, it upstate, like Northern California is unbelievably beautiful, especially I, I for a Georgia girl, you know? So it's like bigger mountains, bigger lakes, bigger trees. Every, everything we have that we love is just way bigger out there. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I travel a little bit for hunting, but Idaho is just so, so good that I tend to s stay close to home and hunt here a lot. But Let me show you what I've got on my desk. So my parents love going out West and my daughter's spending this, my oldest daughter spending the summer in Wyoming at one of the oldest dude ranches in the country as a wrangler. Awesome. So they said, well, we're going to go a week early and we're going to drop her off and we're going to stay another week. And they just go out there and just drive. I mean, they're like straight up tourists dreaming about which ranch they're going to move into, what town's going to be their next home. Like they would move tomorrow if they didn't have the farm in Georgia. So my mom's always like, well, what do you want us to bring you back? You know, these souvenirs. I'm like, I don't need a souvenir. So they get to Idaho and this is what she brings back to me. <laughs> the yeah i see that that's the upland proclamation right For, yeah i'm like okay mom i appreciate it and she's like well i just thought that you would actually appreciate this and i'm like I, it just cracked me up because she's never been bird hunting with me but she knows what my priorities are so i yeah. just thought that was so funny because they loved idaho and and like they said this it has everything that we could ever want yeah it's got uh you know i, I always brag that we have eight uh, let's see, I want to say eight or nine upland species. So anything that you could want to chase, five different grouse species, and you've got uh, uh, valley quail, you've got Hungarian partridge, uh, chucker partridge, and pheasants. So it's a lot, lots of opportunities. Now, did you start as a pheasant hunter? I did, yeah. Yeah, okay. that was, my, you know, my brother kind of introduced me into pheasant hunting when I was a kid. I, I didn't do... I wasn't much of a hunter as a kid, but uh, when I started law school up in Northern Idaho, my brother was in vet school or actually had just finished vet school. And so he got me into pheasant hunting, I think back in 1998. So that was kind of my first love, but I've moved on since then. And I'm, a, I'm mostly a grouse hunter now. I do enjoy hunting the other species, but if I have my druthers, I'd rather go after the grouse. Now, you're going to have to go chase grouse in the Northwoods. Being oh, a yeah. You have to experience that at least once. So have you been up there? Where, where, whereabouts? I have, yeah. In, in Wisconsin. Nice. I just loved it. And I don't, I mean, I haven't hunted in Idaho the furthest. Well, I mean, I did hunt California, but I've chased upland in Nebraska too, but I haven't been further West than that really. And so, um, I just fell in love with the culture of Wisconsin. It just like takes you back in time and the dirt roads is just seem to never end. And then the little hole in the wall bars where everybody, like at the end of the day, when it starts getting dark, it just fills up with trucks and dog boxes. And it's just the coolest thing to experience where there's all these strangers, but they're just like you. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I've had a lot of people that I've hunted with that are from back East, uh, one from the Great Lakes States. And I, I want to say he's from, I can't remember if he's from Minnesota or Wisconsin, but I took him to one of my grouse spots and he said, Andy, you know, he's a, he's a grouse hunter. And he said, I've never seen as many grouse as, as we saw today in, in one hunt. So, you know, oh, I yeah, think, you're going to earn your keep up there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I think, you know, I, and I, you know, the thing about it is there's just not a lot of people that really focus on grouse, you know, and I happen to live in an area that's got a, a, a great bounty of, of different game birds within, you know, an hour's drive from my house. So it's a neat place to live. You know, hopefully okay. you, you kind of got some of that out of the book when you, when you were reading it, but you know, it's something Every that I. Page sparks your heart and a memory just from you telling your own personal stories 
So I want to start on page seven. Like I didn't even get into the book very far before I just started like highlighting and writing in the margins. Awesome. And what I love so much is we all have our little coined um, phrase about our road tripping, right? And yours is roadside revelations. Oh, and yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> I mean, that is like a never ending book of chapter after chapter. I can only imagine like what you left out of this book, but the roadside revelations, I just love that so much. Yeah, that was that was fun. And it's been something that we've stuck to, you know, always looking for it. You know, it's kind of fun when you're taking kids and you're like, we need a roadside revelation. And you, as you're driving down the road, you see the bird right off the side of the road and you find this awesome covert. It's just a fun experience. And, and it's something that we always treasure. Okay, well, you need to keep a whole journal of just the roadside revelations. That's something or put it on your stories like you could do a whole Instagram page on that. Yeah. Yeah. That actually that, the, you know, that phrase actually came from an article that was published back in uh, Upland Almanac. It was one of my first articles that got published. So it's uh, that's that was going to be the name of that book. But we we kind of decided to do a more user friendly, I guess, roadside revelation that wouldn't necessarily tie in with Upland hunting. So we wanted to do something that when people look at the name, the title of the book, they would think of, up you know, Upland. Yeah wing shooting so that makes sense but i still i still think if people knew that it was upland hunting they would relate to that so much it's like yeah. we're all looking for that revelation right oh absolutely you absolutely. follow that with this sentence i don't even want to begin to imagine my life without these cherished moments and memories and i think every bird hunter that ever picked up a shotgun that ever petted a dog's head has said that exact same sentence. You bet. Just enriches our lives so much, you know. And and the older you get, the more cherished the memories are. So that's that's the impetus, I guess you could say, for for writing a book like that is to just make sure that I pass on that wonderful legacy, you know, to my kids and to other people that love it, you know. And I think about the writers that I love, like Burton Spiller or, or George King and you know, I think, man, it, it would be a shame if they didn't write down the things that they experienced because I, I treasure the things that they've written. And so, you know, I, it, for me, I, I don't put myself in that same category, but I, I definitely feel like I have a unique story and, and something that people can relate to. And uh, that's that's the thing that I love is when people say, I really, you know, your book brings back my memories I'm, I'm like, I, I did my job. That's that's exactly what I was trying to accomplish with that. So yeah, that's, that's well, cool that you say that. It not only brings back memories, but it it literally makes you want to relive them. This book will make you pack up the truck and get on the road. <laughs> well, good. good. Yes. Okay. So on that same page, you throw in a photograph which a famous household name you cannot be a bird hunter and not know who ross young is it just yeah. you just cannot know that and so it's super cool that he did this painting called sagebrush Huns with yeah. your dog your Brittany misty yeah and so tell me about meeting ross young and then hunting with him well, I, you know, I first met Ross uh, through a Facebook group that we started. My brother and I started way back when it was the Bird Dogs and Fly Fishing Group on Facebook. And this was kind of back when, you know, before Instagram really took off. But it was a place where people would share photos and, and share experiences. And, and I, you know, I made a lot of acquaintances. Sean and I have made a lot of friends through that. It's been a neat, pretty neat experience, uh, actually. But uh, Ross was a friend on that, um, you know, on on that site for a long time, and, and we communicated. He'd share his artwork, and and uh, it just so happened that he moved. Uh, I'm trying to trying to remember when he moved, but he moved to Preston, Idaho, a few years back, and, we, and Sean and I found out about that. My brother Sean comes. Uh, once a year, he'll come out in October, and we hunt for for a whole week together. 
And uh, he knew that Ross had moved out here and he actually invited Ross to come hunt with us. So we took him that day to the Royal McNabb, which was on fire. I, I, I don't know if you got to those chapters yet where we wrote about that. I wrote about hunting the Royal McNabb, but we had a great hunt there and, and uh, wanted to keep hunting and, and decided to go after a different species. And so we went hunt hunting over um, in, you know, a little bit West of, of that area. And uh, he came with us and, it just so happened that we got into, I think Ross's dogs were kind of worn out at that, at that point. So we had my dog Misty hunting and, and we have this big, long sagebrush strip that we hunt to, uh, you know, that's, that's a long wheat fields, but you're kind of up on this hill, hilltop. So it's just a strip and the, the Huns love that, that strip and they, because of the wheat that they can glean you know, from the fields, you know, right next to this sage and you just kind of push down and, and, you know, the dog will find multiple cubbies. Sometimes we found as many as eight cubbies in that strip. So we just happened to have one of those days where we just found tons of birds and Misty was on fire. I'm trying to remember exactly when that was. I think it was either 2015 or 16 which was one of Misty's last years that we had. And she was just on fire as a bird dog. I think she was seven at the time. So just a wonderful, you know, bird finder. So, okay, and, so and, talking about the dogs, cause you've had multiple dogs. I have. Are you one of those people that just says you're going to learn as we go, or are you going to send your dog off to training or are you training it as you hunt? You know, I've, I've primarily trained all of my dogs, um, you know, and, and had a little bit of help with, you know, e-collars and things like that. Um, but you know, my, my dogs are not, I wouldn't say they're, they're perfected by any means. Um, uh, I did, uh, Rainy is my current, uh, Brit, uh French Brittany. And, uh, she is such a, a good, good dog, just such a good bird finder. Uh, you know, I, I call her a grouse dog extraordinaire. And uh, she, the one thing that she lacked was retrieving. She would retrieve, but she would not bring it to me. Mm -hmm. um, she'll pick it up and, and uh, she would run off with it sometimes. And, and I'd lost birds that way. And so finally, I, I just got so frustrated with it that I said, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I sent her to a trainer last spring, uh, 2022. And I uh, had her force fetched. So, and that was the, it was the best season that I've ever had last year with her. It was fun. <laughs> just the total package. And she's, she's still kind of funny because she'll bring it and, but she'll spit it out right at my feet, you know, instead of, oh my God. You, I've got a she YouTube plays video. You, Cause you know, she knows what to do, but she then knows. You, yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. You know, she's very smart and very hard headed. And so I think she does it just to, to spite me, you know, and, and, uh, but anyway, she does retrieve now. She's, she's does pretty well with it. Um, you know, so I think it was totally worth the money to, to put in for that. So, oh gosh. Yeah. I, I am a huge proponent of pro trainers, especially after I was training for a season during the COVID during our COVID break, when I <laughs> took a crazy turn, I did what I needed to do to, to be able to stay in the world that I wanted to stay in. And it just gave me such a respect for the dedication of a pro trainer and the lifestyle that they live. And yeah, I, I'm so grateful that I got to see that side of it because uh, before that I was completely obsessed with the Hunt Smith program and the Smith family. Like that was my intro into the dog world and they took me under their wing. And so I didn't realize when, when I started that, like, that was like the best of the best in the, in the pointing world, you know, I mean, Delmar is like the godfather of pointing dog training. And so that was really special. And then, and then I got bit in the butt with the retriever bug. And so life took a little turn, but during my pointer days, I read Scott Linden's book. I don't know if you have read his book. I've seen it. I haven't, haven't read it. Okay, well, you have got to pick it up because he is a card anyways. I mean, he's kind of like this quiet guy in the back of the room until you get him going. And then he's 
very funny. He's he's so funny. And the way he talks about dog training and um, how his dog like runs the house and all this stuff, it's just hysterical. And he, and he talks all about it in his book. And it's so funny is he has access to anybody he ever wanted, but that's just the way he's always done it, you know? And so he just throws them out there and they learn along the way. And he just has all of his choice words for his dog. And he talks about in his book and stuff. It's just a riot. That's kind of, you know, I, I like Ben Williams. He's wrote for the uh, pointing yeah. dog journal for a long, long time. And that's kind of his philosophy too, is just to get, get your dogs on, on wild birds. And so my dogs are, you know, they've, I, I, I say, I would say they've never seen a pen raised bird, but that's not true because Rainy did when she was force fetched, but you know, it's just all about wild birds for us. And, and just, you know, just basic obedience training, you know, that we've worked on over the years. So I, I'm not a, you know, I don't expect perfection from my dogs, um, but I, I do try to, you know, to get them to hunt with me and not against me, if you will. Yeah. So, and I, I've kind of followed along with, with uh, uh, Ben O. Williams and, and his philosophy and how you train dogs. And uh, also, by, there's a guy by the name of Mike Gold. I don't know if you've read any of his books. He's big time into uh, he's got a book called, I think the shooting Labrador. And so he did a lot of waterfowl training and he's written some books that kind of have some philosophy on dog training. So I've, I've read his stuff as well. It is. And it's a whole nother thing. Like we get addicted to hunting. And so maybe the dog training part of it wasn't really that big of a deal. But then if you get sucked into the mechanics and the techniques and the challenges and the opportunity and potential of the dog training stuff it's almost like you get so caught up in uh just perfecting the dog because you love the dog so much then the hunting doesn't even like it's not your priority anymore it's like man i just want to see how far you know this dog can can go and stuff and Mm -hmm. it just takes like a whole nother world because i have a ton of friends that are in the testing world and perfecting genetics and how they focus on that and it it really is an endless web once you get into the life of bird dogs, whether you're all about wild bird hunting or the training, or we haven't even talked about the guns. Oh my gosh, like just the gun <laughs> of the upland world and getting into the side-by-sides and the, the nostalgic life of the firearms and stuff. I mean, there's so many holes to get lost in. Oh, in for sure. The world, there's a place for everybody. And so it's just really cool to see all the people that make up our industry and oh, this yeah. lifestyle that we love, you know, like somebody's, you just have different categories of people that carry each specialty. You bet. The cool thing about it too, is that it's, you know, with social media, it just makes that world that much smaller and and, and you're able to communicate with a lot of people in, you know, that are in the industry and in, in our world. So, you know, it's, it's, it's made it such a smaller place, you know, like, like you said earlier about me meeting, Ross Young, I, you know, I consider him a friend to this day. So I've hunted with, uh, oh, I was going to say with, with, uh, I got to remember his name. He, he writes for the pointing dog journal. Uh, uh, I'll think of his name in just a minute, but anyway, I've hunted with a lot of people that, that are well-respected. Tom Davis is the guy's mm-hmm. name. Yeah. So he came out and hunted with my brother and I back in 2013, I believe in Idaho. <laughs> And I wrote about it in Field and Stream, uh, the article, I, I think it was called The Great American Bird Hunt. So that was kind of a fun experience. But it's just, it's a smaller world, you know, it's a small world in the in the upland world. It is until you go to Pheasant Fest and then you see everybody there with all, you know, all the dogs, all the blaze orange. And you think this world is huge and it goes it's just scattered all over the country, you know? It yeah. really does feel so much bigger, uh, or it is bigger than what it really feels like. I, I believe that. I haven't been to Pheasant Fest, but I've I've definitely seen You haven't been? I haven't been yet, no. <clears throat> oh, you've got to go. You have the with the books that you write, the stories that you tell, it will be icing on the cake for you. Cool. Yeah, I thought about it. I'll just have to make it a point to do it. Maybe I'll drag my brother along with me. Yeah, because he'll know everybody there. <laughs> yeah, he know he does know a lot. That's for sure. So. Yeah. 
Oh, it's it is so much fun. You won't get any sleep. And you spend all day long having these exact conversations. It's all about, I mean, everybody takes their dog. It's like it's unlike any other trade show I've ever been to. So pack up your dog and head, head on out. Head yes. east to <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Yes. And everybody's it's, you've got your hunting shirts on, but they're all pressed. Like, it's like, it's like going to Sunday church of the, of the upland world. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Sounds so like my kind of people. Yes. Moving on to another chapter. Tell me about Tommy's Covey. All right. Um, that's actually that same place that I was just telling you about uh, where we hunted with Ross with, with uh, Ross Young. So, Tommy is, is my son that I've, I've wrote about quite a bit in that book. Um, he was, I don't know if you remember the chapter Grouseketeer where we had kind of a, it was his first time hunting and he had a miserable <laughs> experience. But uh, I would say that uh, Tommy's Covey was when Tom was probably 12 or 13 years old. I'm, I'm trying to remember how old he was. Uh, a little bit older. Um, it was before he could hunt. So maybe he was a little bit younger than that. Uh, between eight and 12, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, we took him up to to hunt this area. And this is the first time we'd ever hunted, hunted it. We had a tip from our uh, one of our brothers. Uh, Scott told us about this spot that was loaded with uh, sharp tails and huns. So we took Tom. Uh, actually, I, I got Tom out of school so that he could come and hunt with us for a day. And, and we took Tom up to this place and it's quite the hike. You're, 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 it's not flat. Like, you know, you would think where you would hunt for huns, it's rolling hills and kind of sagebrush benches. And uh, so we're following our dogs and, and um, I, I, we, I think we kicked up a covey and, and uh, didn't see where it flew, but, but Tom saw where it flew. And so he told us where we needed to go. And uh, anyway, we, Tom and I, Sean, Sean went somewhere else and Tom and I followed after this covey. And uh, I'm trying to remember if it was, I think it was Misty and we had a sunny girl with us. So we come up on top of this, this bench and that we dropped down into this little divot and Misty starts doing the cat crawl. And uh, anyway, this, this hun gets up. And I, I made the shot, which I, I suck at Huns. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. <laughs> so I made the shot. I knocked it down, but, but I could see when it hit the ground, it started running. So I started running after it, trying to catch it. And I'm thinking, it's probably not a smart thing to run with a loaded gun. So I set my gun down. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and Misty comes with me. We chase the, the uh, Hun down and we, fi- we found it. And I was just celebrating. I think this was like, at the time, it's probably like I could count the number of huns that I've taken on both hands. <laughs> so I was probably really excited. And we got, you know, Tom and I celebrated, giving high fives, taking pictures. And, and then I look around, and I'm like, well, where's my shotgun? <laughs> <laughs> so we looked oh, probably for about a half an hour. And my brother, Sean, we could hear him shooting up on the hill. He got into a different cubby and he finally comes down. I'm like, brother, I can't find my shotgun. Can you help me? Will you help me? So we start circling around and uh, pretty soon we, we see the gleam. It's just, just the lighting was right. It was because it was, uh, sun was going down and we saw a gleam on the barrel and it wasn't anywhere where I thought I had set it down. So <laughs> that's Tommy's cubby. We we named that area after him because he was the one that that uh, saw where the birds went and we got into them. So it's a fun experience. I love that. That is hilarious. Yep. So how old is he now? He is, uh, let's see, he's, I want to say he's 19 or almost. No, he, he, uh, yeah, he's 19, uh, going on 20 this year. He's uh, going to be a junior in, in college. So does so, he give you, does he give you a hard time about losing your gun in the field? Like getting so excited? Has uh, that- you know what? He wouldn't have any grounds to talk because <laughs> one of the fir- first times I had him carrying a shotgun, um, it was, it was my favorite uh, Ruger red label 20 at the time. Um, he, 
set it down and, and it's still missing to this day. <laughs> yeah. So, so he doesn't have much room to talk, but, but yeah, it's just one of those things, you know. That is so funny. Well, I can't say that I've ever left the shotgun anywhere. But yeah, I, ha I, haven't, I haven't done that yet. Now I'm going to think about it. Now it's going to be at the forefront of my mind when I'm out there now. Yeah, because make sure you, you get turned well. around in those fields, you know? I mean, it's so easy to do that. And in the moment of that much excitement, who knows if you could trace your steps back? Oh, yeah. We, we tried. We actually took all of the pictures that we had for that for that particular day. And my friend uh, that was with us, that was hunting with us, he had his, his GPS collar on his dogs. So we were able to trace our footsteps pretty well based upon the you know, GPS coordinates of the, of the picture. We just couldn't find the gun. I, I think we went back and looked for that gun probably, oh, I'd say three times. I never could find it. Okay, well, I'm going to tell Pete this story at Dogtra. So when he starts getting on these calls, I'm like, here's another way to use your GPS collar to, just, to, yeah. to find, Try to find your, your shotgun. <laughs> Try to find your gear. <laughs> it was so funny. I podcasted with him a week ago or so. And he started ratting all of us out, all of the trainers. You know, I was in the middle of a, a national um, hunting tournament. And all of us turn into like school kids that can't do anything for ourselves when our collars break and his phone just gets blown up all the time with all of us pros <laughs> getting put into a bind like that where we need help. So he was picking on all of us, not being able to work our collars. <laughs> well, I might need some help from him. So send me his number. <laughs> okay. I've got a problem with my collar right now. He, he's bailed me out of a lot and it's just dumb stuff where you get and this heightened sense of anxiety and you just literally can't focus enough to follow directions you know like you can't just read something and follow directions i needed somebody to hold my hand <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so, yeah. but it, ha it happens you know you get money on the line you get titles on the line you had a bird that you needed the bag on the line you just kind of lose your marbles for a second. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, for, for me with the, the collar, I've had my dogs actually drop over with, you know, heat exhaustion or whatever. And um, the collar is kind of a safety thing for me too, because I'd hate to lose my dog in the grouse woods and, you know, not be able to find, find her if she did drop over. You know, just because of the, uh, the, I've had that experience before. She'll she'll go on point too, and there you you can't find her for like ten minutes. If you didn't have that collar, you wouldn't be able to find her. So well, I it was like my first time out of the South, hunting big country with my pointers, and Tater's dog was just a puppy, maybe a year and a half. And I had a training collar on her, but I didn't have a GPS collar on her. And we were in the sand hills and they have rolling hills, but they're so high, like you can't see ahead of you, you know? I mm -hmm. mean, we really don't have that many problems like that down south. And so um, she got over a hill and then she just couldn't, we just could, we just kept missing each other. And then it was like, she was gone. She was gone. She was gone. And I'm like, I know that, She's trying to get to me if I nick her, but she doesn't know where I am, right? Yeah. So we just got all turned around and I just, something made me think, okay, I'm just going to shoot my gun. And if she hears that, then she could locate me. And she came running back and I'm like, never again am I going to let my dogs out of the truck without a GPS collar? Because if I had to come home and tell sweet little tater bug that she was probably four or five years old that I lost her dog. Oh my God. Like, I just don't even know if I could have came home. So that was my lesson. And this, uh, it's a crazy thing. Why don't we listen to the, like to other people's story and not have to learn the hard way? Oh yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I, I, I never used to use them, but, but I wouldn't go without them now just, just because of how many times I've lost rainy, uh, rainy in the woods. You just, it's so thick where, where we hunt in some places She'll go on point and she's so staunch that she's not coming off. And it does, I could, I could be standing 
five feet from her and not see her. Yeah. Yeah. So, but to me, it's, it's invaluable, you know, for the hunting that I do. Well, and you've got Brittany, so you're going to have some, some flashes of white, but you get these liver short hairs and they just disappear right into the yeah. wood. For, for sure. And that kind of, kind of cover for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I learned the value of that really fast. And then, and then I've hunted in Kansas, you know, where CRP is as high as my chin, the wind's blowing. Well, the dog can't hear you and all that wind and you can't see them because the wind's blowing the CRP. So you don't know if it's your dog running through the grass or if it's the wind blowing or whatever. I mean, if you, when you start traveling outside of your comfort zone of the region that you learned from, there, it's like you just start all over with life lessons. Oh, for sure. It just never ends. I agree. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to read part of your book. All right. Let's, let's hear it. Unless you want to read it. Do you want to read it? You know, I don't I have it. From, I, actually, my partner, my law partner has a copy, so I could go get it. But go, go ahead and read. Okay. Well, this was, this was just so amazing to me. And it's, um, it's become kind of a trend throughout my podcast lately to discuss this. So let me see where I'm going to start. Okay. We are in hunting is hope, which is chapter 16. Okay. And under the picture, it's got you and your dog. I don't know which one it is. Hiking up a hill and says hope on the horizon, searching for Idaho sage grouse. I know it's not, I know your accent is not in my accent. So I feel like, <laughs> like I should sound like you. Okay. The drive to hunt is so much more than a primal instinct. As the Native Americans recognized, hunting is a spiritual endeavor. Hunting is the opportunity to go without any guarantee that we are going to succeed, but still, but to still desire success, to exercise a little faith, if you will, and then do our best to make it all come together. At its core, hunting is hope. This hope drives us to hike uphill and delve behind bird dogs all day long without a thought of fatigue. This hope is what makes us anticipate with excitement opening day, a staunch dog's point, the chaos of the flush, the smell of burnt gunpowder, and the thrill of making a nice shot. It's the same hope inspires us in our life to strive to accomplish things that are difficult or even seemingly impossible, but that are worthwhile. In the Bible, Paul wrote, for we are saved by hope. When it comes to hunting, hunters have understood this important truth since the dawn of time, and hope is what keeps us going afield today. That's like in the very middle of your book, and I think you could have ended it right there. <laughs> well thank you i, I, I love, that, love chapter. that chapter so much the editor that the guy that helped me edit the book was like this this is he felt like that was the, the one of the most powerful poignant chapters as well i tried to get that published by the way way back when and, and the the editors from the magazines that i sent it to just said nope they didn't want to touch it so but i i think it's true i mean i i think you know Anybody that, that hunts that, you know, especially, I mean, I, I'll just let you know, I, I struggled. You probably noticed that in the book. I struggled as a wing shooter for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, it was just something that I love so much. And, you know, I was kind of in this quandary of, you know, I suck at this, but I love it. You know, and <laughs> you ever feel like that? Oh that God, that's, yeah. that's how I, and so it was just something that I loved so much. And so just to succeed was just like the, you know, was something that I just thrived on. I just loved that opportunity when it all came together with, with me and my, my bird dogs, it was a really special moment. And, and so, you know, I kind of, I'm a religious person. So I kind of, the, that feeling and that, that anticipation that, that you go out to is not unlike faith. It's not unlike hope. You know, it's kind of something that you go out and you, you hope that you, you don't know that you're going to succeed. You just have faith that you will, you know? And so anyway, that's, that's, that's where that came from. I guess you could say that, that chapter, those sentiments. Well, this take, it keeps taking me back to my trip to the Sandhills that first year 
and just you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere right I mean you really are in the middle of nowhere and there's just massive big country and you feel so small in this big big world and then you're chasing this little bitty bird that is so smart and so fast and you're dependent on your dog completely dependent on your dog and there's you it puts you in that mindset that there is something so much bigger out there there's a reason oh, sure. you know, there's a whole bigger reason as to why we're here and you can't deny that when you get in the woods like that or in the field oh yeah yeah it's a it's a spiritual endeavor you know just like i said in the in the book there's you know, I, I, I hunt because it's fun. I hunt because I enjoy the camaraderie with my friends and being with the bird dog, but there's, there's a spiritual, um, I don't know how to say it. There's a, there's a spiritual connection that you, you receive out there or that you can't get out other places, you know, and I, I have a, a super stressful profession that I, I do every day and hunting is just, for me, it's a, it's a great opportunity to get away from that and to just, be in nature and, and, you know, just have, have a, a reprieve, if you will. So it's a, it's a, it's a great escape for me. So when I started this podcast, it really was to showcase people that may not be the face or the main name of um, the big organizations or the big companies or whatever, but it was all the people that were behind the scenes that actually make the industry go. And those are the people that mentored me, that opened up doors for me, that allowed me to live this lifestyle because I didn't have a dad that taught me about this. I mean, I actually took my dad bird hunting for the first time and stuff. So I just wanted to showcase and show gratitude to these people. And the conversation that we always talked about, because I was getting involved in hunting and conservation organizations to get my ed education and to make friends. And it just, it just kind of, that's just kind of the way things happen. It wasn't planned. It wasn't like I really even knew that they existed. It was just the doors that opened that I walked through. So we were always talking about our rights and protecting of our laws and all these things. And so the heart of the American hunter is really what I wanted to convey because those are the people that influence me to become who I am, right? And so I want to mm -hmm. hear your perspective of that. I love asking this question with the people on, that come on. Like, what's your interpretation of the heart of the American hunter? You talk about, you, you touch on it throughout your book. But right now, I just think it's so important to be like, we're Americans. I'm like, what does this mean to us? Well, you know, that's, to me, it's it's all tied up in, you know, I, I, I think you saw, that chapter, uh, maybe you haven't read it yet, but the American Brittany or the French Brittany and the American dream. <laughs> I read is, it. Yeah. Yeah. About the, yeah, all so, the things so, that the French did for us. Yeah. 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 But, but that, that to me, that's, that's, it's a big part of our freedom, you know, and I know that it's tied up with our right to keep and bear arms, which I'm, a, I'm, I'm a supporter of the second amendment, but you know, I mean, where else can you go? besides America, where you have the opportunity to, to go and hunt and to, to follow bird dogs. And I mean, it's, it's, it's all part of, of our freedom. And, and it's something that I cherish, you know, and living out West with all the public land that we have. I mean, where, do, where do you have that opportunity to access millions and millions of acres of public land and, and millions of of upland game birds throughout, you know, throughout our, our great nation. So, and I've, I've hunted in different States. It's, you know, it's, we have the freedom to go and, and pursue game birds in any of any of our States. What a great opportunity that is, you know? So to me, that's, that's a, a huge part of our freedom, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a way of life. It's, it's more than just a hobby for me. You know, it's, it's, it's a big part of who I am. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad first. I'm an attorney by profession. And then I'm a, I'm a, well, I, I, and I'm a religious person. I'm a follower of Christ. And then I'd say I'm a bird hunter and I'm a, I'm a fly fisherman. I'm an outdoorsman. It's a big part of who I am. So, you know, that's, that's how I identify, I guess you could say. 
I'm waiting on you to throw out some Teddy Roosevelt quote. (laughs) (laughs) Bully. (laughs) I love that because when I first started, we really didn't think about things with the American rights and our American freedoms and our faith and how it all ties together. I mean, we might if we got into some like campfire conversation, right? And it got really deep. But after we went through COVID, I think it just puts all of these things right at the forefront of, I might even have a conversation about our hunting rights and the pride that we take in that before I might even have a dog conversation these days, which is kind of unheard of because, uh, I don't know. It seems like everybody that I talk to, our dogs are our priority. We, we all have our dogs on our, on our phones as our screensaver instead of our kids, you know? Oh yeah. So it's just crazy how our priorities have changed and, um, and how we share that message. You bet. Well, I think it's important that we do share that message and share, share the lifestyle too. You know, I mean, I think, I think we do have kind of a situation where, you know, we're at a crossroads with hunting. If, if we don't spread it and, and, and bring people into it, I mean, it could become, I, I think even Idaho where, where there's a lot of hunters is decreasing, you know, the number of hunters and, you know, purchased hunting, hunting license, uh, licenses is decreasing every year. So I, you know, I think it's it, that way of life is in jeopardy. There are people in our nation that are at that would love nothing more than to stop us from doing the things that we love to do. So it's, it, you know, it's something that we, I, I can't stress it enough. We, you know, we could lose it. It's, it's not a guaranteed thing, you know? So that's, that's one reason for writing the books is just to, to, you know, continue to, let people know what a wonderful thing it is, what it means to to those that participate in it. Yeah, for sure. And, and I love that you wrote this book because we never can do enough, you know, and there's so many opportunities like Richard and I are really involved with SCI and SCI has a legal team that fights for our hunting rights all over the world, but especially here in the States for all hunting rights. And they've been kind of um, assumed that because it's safari hunting club, that it's all about African hunting. And there's a lot of, of that that's part of the organization, but they really protect every single hunter and, and, and all types of game. So yeah. um, it's really cool to be involved with that because we can get caught up with just hunters like us. And I can tell growth in my passion for hunting as a whole, since I've been exposed to all different types of hunting and it, and it just, it changes the dynamics. Like this, this last year we had convention in Nashville and we all got together as women and I've only really associated myself with bird hunting ladies, you know, or, or gun dog girls. And so it was just a whole nother thing to see these women that are on horseback going through the mountains and all these things where we think that we're tough. And then I meet these ladies and I'm like, holy smokes, like they don't think anything about just packing a tent and some food and see you in three or four days and off to the mountains they go. Yeah. It's just really cool to think when we think we've had it hard or we think we could never do that again to see somebody else that challenges us to do more. Yeah. And I, as bird hunters, I, you know, I think you make a good point that we shouldn't be looking down our noses at people that hunt differently than us. You know, we, we, we all need to stand together, you know, and, and so I agree with you. I think, I think it's important that, you know, all hunters be protected in what they love. So. Yeah. Because I was just in the deep end of the pool in our industry or our part of the industry where it was all people like us before SCI. And so it's been like, like my first time to be around all different types of hunters and, and collectively how they challenged me to think outside the box of how to market, to bring other people into our industry because everybody loves dogs. I mean, if you don't love dogs, I just question your character, you know? <laughs> yeah. Never trust a person that doesn't like dogs. Right. right? And so, <laughs> It's a, it's a really cool thing because not everybody can go to Africa multiple times a year or anywhere around the world like that. And Safari Club is full of people that travel outside of our country, but 
you can always go to a preserve and this and that's the cool special thing about bird hunting which you may not recognize this because of where you live you have so much access to public land and wild birds but the whole country doesn't oh, and I know. so the the upland world brings people together and it's a social event and it it just provides so much opportunity for people to enjoy hunting without having to prepare you bet. And without having to go, you know, I, I always tell people that I can go out and hunt for half day and then come home and hang out with my family. I, you know, I feel like with big game hunting and, you know, the other types of hunting, it's just more of a commitment. You know, you're, you're, you're in it for the long haul, I guess you could say, but bird hunting, you know, it's something that you could do in long intervals or you could do it, you know, short afternoon hunt and, and still have success. So that's, that's one thing I love about it. I know. And I mean, I haven't been like elk hunting or anything because I really just don't want to leave the dogs. So I haven't made that commitment because like you say, it's a huge commitment. Oh yeah. I don't want to take those weekends away from spending time with my dogs because we only get them for so many years, you know? And when you think about the weekends that we have of hunting season, even though we get them all year long, the season is short. Oh yeah. So actually their lifespan gets cut down when we think about how many times we actually get in, to go in the field. So I just haven't done any big game hunting since I sold out to the dogs. Yeah, um, me too. And I, and I have to say at the end of the day, after we've walked a gazillion miles, I would much rather be cleaning pheasants and chucker. <laughs> I would be having to pack out an elk for sure. Amen. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now you do. Not that have I have anything against it. I mean, I love big game, and I I love the you know my dad was a big time big game hunter, but it's you know to me I I'd rather I'd rather shoot a grouse, I guess you could say. So. <laughs> well, me too, because the dogs. Now I love when people want to invite me over for a cookout and and share what they've done, but I'm with you. Like I don't want to leave the dogs. Now you've yep. been very serious throughout your book a lot, and then I get to the end and I'm like how is he going to wrap all this up? You know, (laughs) and it was the funniest surprise ever because I have friends out in Nevada that are rock star chucker hunters and live (laughs) and live for it. And so, and then before that I have all these rules and, and I thought it was just because I was Southern about etiquette in the field, right? Like we don't worry about safety. We up our game to straight up etiquette. And so when I got to the second to last chapter and you have this list in here uh, with your ethical guidelines, oh, it yeah. sounds much less snobby <laughs> than my etiquette in the field. But do you want to talk about these? Do you know these off the top of your head? No, I, I mean, I, I know them generally, but I, I, I haven't read them for, for a while. <laughs> it's really funny when you get people that, don't understand the etiquette right and Uh you're out pheasant hunting in a big field and you've got your line of six eight people whatever and two or three people break out a dog and then you get the new person that just wants to yell at somebody else's dog i love that you put this (laughs) on the list and and they don't know you know i mean they don't know what they don't know and so it's just really funny and and it could go south real fast Oh, for sure. It's a good way to take somebody off. So. <laughs> and so I was, I was thinking, man, okay. You said don't be a game hog was number one, but I was like, I don't know. That may should have made the number one spot about don't be bossing somebody else's dog. Yeah. I agree with you. They, they could go together. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Okay. And then I turned to the, the last chapter. I think it was the last chapter maybe second to last chapter. Not only is there, like you just did nine um, ethical points, just nine Mm -hmm. ethical points. Turn the page and all of a sudden there's twice as many reasons that you hate chucker honey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, these priorities are hilarious. So That's all uh, tongue in cheek, by the way. That, That was all in fun. I'm, I'm the world's worst chucker hunter. I'll be the first to admit it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like okay. it, but I suck at it. So number six, no bird exploits your weakness as a shooter better than the chucker. 
Amen. But in our defense, who can shoot straight when you're off balance, winded, pissed off, and at the point of tears when a Kobe chugger flushes totally unexpectedly? Wait, did I say tears strike that? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you got a kick out of that. And that's, uh, it's tongue in cheek, but it's from experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, there's no way you just made this up. Okay, 16. Chucker hunting makes one use those lame lines that losers like to say. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. It was just good to get out. And I like to practice catch and release wing shooting. And the birds are just the bonus. Oh, you're yeah. calling you're calling BS on all that. <laughs> no, okay. I've I've said those many a times. Like I said, that's from, from personal experience. Now I want you to I want you to um explain this one. 18. It's sad when a blogger has to use someone else's chucker photos because <laughs> he has none of his own to illustrate a post. Hmm. I won't mention any names. <laughs> it sounds like there's a story right there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been chucker hunting with with friends that do better than me at chucker shooting and, and have to take use their photos for, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know I, I think i wrote an article one time uh about chucker hunting in uh idaho in in the winter and uh i, I, I it was published in the local newspaper had you know it was a beautiful article it turned out nice but uh, I don't think any of those pictures were from checkers that I shot. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yeah. So what you're saying is that bird hunters have the best sense of humor. Oh yeah. Yep. They, they do for sure. Um, you know, pe some people, I, I just had a review on Amazon about the book and, and the guy's like, I love the book. Andy tells a great story. I just don't agree with that ch chapter on checkers. <laughs> so and, and I and I wrote him and I said, you know, that was all tongue in cheek, right? You know, that was all fun. And he said, yeah, but, you know, he says us us people down in Utah, we're, we're big time into checker hunting. So they 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 took it a little more seriously than it was meant to be taken. You should seriously sign a book for him and just send him a personalized book. <laughs> uh, I think he I think he he already has it. So he reviewed it. Like I said, he reviewed it for me on Amazon and, and gave me a five star review. It was just that that. He took issue with that chapter in particular. Oh, Lord. Well, I found it to be hilarious. And I'm sure that there's a lot of other stories. I mean, you can pick on everybody. And the, and the thing that I love in the bird dog world that we didn't even talk about is the cults of the dog breeds. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> how, you know, I, because when I started with short hairs, I, I was like leader of the pack of the cults, right? Like only short hairs ruled you could never have a good dog and it could be anything else and it is just so much fun to have all of this um rivalry yeah you know i i don't get too caught up in it i mean i like my my breed but i'm not a breed snob either you well know? i saw so, that your dad had a short hair talked about how your dad had a short hair in the book oh yeah yeah i wondered i'm like oh i wonder i had a short dad. hair too though i mean you saw uh, the the first chapters are about Rudy. My so my first bird dog was was a short hair. His so name was. Why did you uh, switch? Why did I switch? Oh, um, you know, it just so happened that that uh, I had an older brother that that was a you know he says if you want to get the if you want to get a bird dog you need to get a bird dog and so it, and to him <laughs> that was you know the L Hugh pointer. So oh, I, I was gotcha. susceptible to influence by him. And so after, after I had Rudy and, um, and he passed away, I got Farley, who was at L. Hugh Pointer. And he was just a, he was awesome. He was a phenomenal bird dog. And, and, but he was hard headed and hard to manage in the field. And so, and then at that same time, I had a, a French Brittany that was given to me. And, and so um, just to kind of see, compare and contrast the L. Hugh with the French Brittany. And, you know, I just kind of, I guess, had a shift in what I prefer, I guess you could say. I love a good, I love a good pointer. My One of my uh, best friends that I hunt with is Matt Lee from uh, North, South Carolina, and he runs uh, pointers. And they're 
awesome bird dog. So I still, I still love pointers. My brother, Sean runs setters. Yeah. I, um, I'm a secret fan of the Labrador retrie- retriever. I love that. Do you say well. secret? Yeah. Oh my yeah. I, I actually have a, a golden retriever that I'm trying to introduce to hunting. So I think she's going to be, she's, she's almost, she'll be two this, this fall. And uh, I think she'll be a bird dog. I do. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's just so fun. So the next book you write, I think you should talk about all the dogs because you played off like, oh no, I don't have any influence about breeds. And you just had like four stories about people in your family with dog breeding influences. Oh yeah. And then you pulled out a secret lab fan. I did the same <laughs> thing. I got to South Dakota and I thought, oh my gosh, this is insane. And this is amazing pheasant hunting with a lab and there's no way I'm getting my dog out of the truck because she cannot do this <laughs> you know my short hair and it changed my life so it, so you now run labs as well I see was that a lab that I just saw in the yeah train? littles littles awesome. had to come up and give me some loving awesome yeah they're good I mean it's hard to beat a good lab well, I'm not going to lie. I had more luck in the grouse woods with my lab than I did my pointer. Wow. Yeah. Just I mean, because they're like, a little closer or what? Yeah, maybe. And then just maybe experience, you know, with that dog. But um, who knows? It could just have been the way luck rolled out. But that's the facts. The facts is I shot more grouse over labs than I did any type of pointer. Wow. And that sounds backwards. You're, you're sitting there in disbelief. No, I believe it. (laughs) I've got a, I've got a friend, Matt Lucia that I wrote about in that book that had, has had some phenomenal labs. So I, I, I do not doubt you one bit, you know, I've, I've, so if you, if you, that, um, out shooting Matt, I mean, he, that, that dog, Logan was a phenomenal bird dog and I never, you'd never lose game either. So you know, he was a bird finder and he was also a bird retriever, just awesome dog. So ever since then, I've, I've been, I've had much love and respect for the breed. I know. And it, it is, it is crazy when you get on certain hunts and you're like, man, I never would have thought that that dog could have done that. It's just fun. It's so yeah. fun. It's, it's just the highlight. I think I love the dogs. It's not, I think, I know I love the dogs more than any other part of hunting. I just, any kind of bird hunting, I don't, I love pheasant hunting probably the most. Um, But yeah, just, just watching the dogs work and watching people with the relationship with the dog, that whole culture. And just yeah, keeps awesome. addicted. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I hate that we didn't put this out before Father's Day because your book would have been a great gift for any dad or anyone that loves bird hunting in any form or fashion you don't have to be you know this hunter that stays on the road 50 days out of the year or more you know you can just go one or two times and this book will spark and and resonate with your heart so i'm glad i got to read it thank you for coming on and and telling me about it and talking about all of your experiences well it's been fun thank you anna we next book that you come out, give us a heads up so we can get on it first. Okay. I've got one coming out. I, I, I have probably about 10 more chapters to write, but it's, it's called grouse fever. <laughs> so, and it's by that, I mean, like, you know, buck fever when you get shaky and you <laughs> have a hard time shooting the deer. That's I get, I get grouse fever. So that's what, that's what How it's do you have about. time to get grouse fever. You hear, it sounds like some helicopter going off and then they're gone. Well, it's more when I was younger, I, I, I've kind of gotten past that. <laughs> I, I'm not as much of a duffer now as I used to be, but I still get excited. You know? Oh my gosh. I'm with you on it because when you're in those woods and you hear them go off, you know, you only have a split second. Oh Yeah. So the pressure, like all, everything, all the variables of grouse hunting in the woods is just, it's really like quail hunting on steroids. Oh yeah. I I love it though. I love that. I love that intensity and I love snap shooting. You know, I've I've just got finished uh, for the first year 
we uh, coaching a trap team for our local high school. Uh, I was the assistant coach and, you know, it's funny cause they'll, they, when, you know, they get to call pull and they get to have their gun up to their cheek and, you know, and, and basically all, all they got to do is acquire the target. And, you know, when I get up there, when, you know, when I'm standing up there at the, the stands and I, I want to do what I do in the grass, which, which is I'll hold the gun down. And, and when the bird comes up, I, I mount and shoot, you know, and that, that's how you do it in the grass, which, cause you just don't have time, you know? And, and so I, I love that. I love that, that, you know, snap shooting is what you call it, you know, where you, you, you're try to get on it as quick as you can and you're only getting a split second. Yeah. So. Well, next time you come on, we'll have to talk about guns too. We didn't even get to talk about upland guns and, and the traditions sure. of that and all the hand-me-downs and, and what, what you're saving up for your boys. If y'all can remember where they are. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I'll let you know when the new one comes out, I just need to get to work on it, but uh, we got the hunting season coming up, you know, actually first day of summer, but, but you know, in uh, Idaho, we start hunting in the summer. We start hunting August 30th. So I'm getting excited. Oh, it's coming up soon. Okay. Well, we'll be on the lookout for grouse fever all right sounds good thank you thank you Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me